Welcome to the U.S. Physiatry Podcast. I'm Dr. Mike Lupinacci, Chief Medical Officer. And I'm Craig DiTomaso, the Director of Early Career Physician Development, and we will be your host. Physical medicine and rehabilitation is a dynamically evolving specialty with an increasingly challenging and sometimes tumultuous medical world. This podcast is designed to present you with an analysis of facts, expert opinions, and current challenges in the practice of physiatry. U.S. Physiatry is a large and diverse group, and our intent is to present an equally diverse spectrum of viewpoints. It is our perspective that we, as a specialty, must approach these issues with honesty and optimism to advocate to the patients we care for. Our intent is to partner with our colleagues to advance our specialty and to improve your work lives at all stages of your practice. If you have any further comments, questions, or concerns, please contact us at Mike Lupinacci at usphysiatry.com or Craig DiTomaso at usphysiatry.com. We welcome your feedback, questions, and comments, and thank you for listening. I've been instructed to start this session with the following. Each view expressed today is solely the view of the person expressing that view. You should not interpret what you hear today as the opinion or advice of U.S. physiatry, post-acute physicians, or any of their managers, officers, or other representatives. In addition, you should not interpret what you hear today as professional, medical, legal, business, or other advice for you in particular. If you are seeking that type of advice or opinion, you should speak directly with your own professional advisor. That person will know your particular facts and circumstances. We take very seriously the medical advice our professionals provide to our patients, and that advice is always focused exclusively on that individual patient, taking into account all the facts and circumstances facing that patient after a thorough examination. With those caveats, we can begin. Well, thank you and welcome back to the um, U.S. Physiatry Podcast. We are delighted to have with us one of my mentors, um, Dr. Barry Smith. If you're not aware, Dr. Barry Smith is certainly PMNR royalty. Dr. Smith completed his medical school at Thomas Jefferson. He then uh, went on to do his residency training in Louisville, Kentucky. His career was notable for multiple impressive uh, positions, including Emeritus Associate Professor in the Department of Physical Medicine Rehabilitation at Baylor College of Medicine, where he served as the chair as well as the program director and where we cross paths. In addition, he has served as the chair and medical director of the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas, Texas, and the medical director of the Institute of Physical Medicine Rehabilitation in Louisville, Kentucky. Dr. Smith has served on numerous boards and committees. He was the chair of the RRC committee. He served as chair of the Board of Educational Committee for Foreign Medical Graduates and was the ECFMG uh, Composite Committee leader. He was... uh, the director of the American Board of Physical Medicine Rehabilitation and a longtime member. He served on the Osteopathic Principles Committee for the Accreditation Council for the Graduate Medical uh, Education Committee. Dr. Smith has uh, been president of the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. He was uh, also president of the Association of Academic Physiatrists. He has received numerous national awards, including the Frank H. Krusen Award, the Distinguished Member Award from the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, and the Distinguished Service Award from the Association of Academic Physiatrists. Um, More importantly, Dr. Smith has always been a uh, stand-up guy who is not afraid to tell you how he feels and give you his honest answer to things, and has been a valuable mentor, uh, both to myself and Dr. Lupinacci. Thank you for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. So I guess we'll start at the beginning. I think lots of physiatrists know of the regulatory boards, but you seem to be really involved and engaged. 
How did you come to being so engaged with the ABPMNR and, and then eventually the American Board of Medical Specialties? And how did you come to leadership positions in those organizations? Well, it's, it's a long road. And I, I do want to talk about one thing before we begin, and that is work-life balance. I didn't start any of these, these things until my progeny were old enough that they didn't need me at home. And when they were little, everything I did, I did at the local level. And I did the things you need to do for your kids, like I was a little league coach and those kinds of things. And so I think you have to make certain that as you begin to want to do this, that you understand the importance of, of, of your life outside of medicine as well as your life in medicine. But how I got started, is, I think, is the way that everybody has to start. Is I just started volunteering my time where I could. I, I, I was in the AAP, so I volunteered to be on committees there. I was... Uh, in the academy, so I, I volunteered to do committee work there. And whenever anyone asked me to be on a committee, I, I I volunteered. I did that, and I always made sure whatever the deadline was that I was prompt and, and did what I did. And so uh, I think what happens is you get on the first one. I got on the on the uh, academy board first, and from that, then I got elected to to the uh, RRC at the ACGME. I was very involved in that, plus I was on my way uh, to becoming on the AAP board as well. Because of those things, I was selected to, to be uh, one of the directors of the, of the American Board of Physical Medicine. If you're in, And then from that, I was the American Board's representative, representative to the, the ABMS and spent some time there and kind of got to know everybody and again, volunteered for everything I could and work my way up. And I think that's how you do it. You just, you go, you say, I will help. Whatever help needs to be done, you do it. And if you do a good job and you get people to know you and understand that you do a good job, you work your way up. If one was interested in, in today in getting on the American Board of Physical Medicine, probably the best way is to volunteer to be on one of their committees that they write questions or works on uh, things that the board does. I mean, as you well know, uh, with the continuing accreditation system, they're now all in the midst of get, developing many questions for that, in addition to the questions for their uh, qualifying or initial certifying exam. So again, if you, if you sign up to do that, you do what they ask you to do and you do it well and on time, they get to know you, they get to know you, the quality of your work, and they'll ask you to do more and then you work your way up takes a long time, but you've got to be persistent. Seeing your career with the ABPMNR and all the things that you've witnessed, tell me, what do you think was the primary benefit from working with the ABPMNR, and what could other people who are interested in volunteering expect to benefit from that involvement? Well, for me, it was learning more about how certification works. One of the things I'm proudest about was when I was on the ABPMNR board, I was the chair of the committee that changed how we do the the oral exam the first time. Uh, my, our older colleagues will know what it was like beforehand, before we did this structured test that we do now. And I was really proud that we were able to develop that and develop something that was very objective to demonstrate folks' abilities to, to interact. I mean, one of the things about taking a written test is you, you, it tests your medical knowledge, but what the oral exam does it tests your ability to think on your feet, tests your ability to be able to communicate. And those things are just as important as book knowledge if one wants to be an excellent physiatrist. 
So then the benefit that people would expect would be some insight into how those things work and, and how to have a voice in making the changes that are relevant to the physiatry. Correct. I mean, I think that, that as you look at that, that the board uh, doesn't really set the standards, but in many respects it does set the standards and, and how the specialty is changing and what gets emphasized in, in the examinations and what gets emphasized in training. Uh, and so that that's very helpful to understand how the ACG, how the ACGME and the American Board of BMR work together to develop the criteria for what is thought to be the the portions that are important to being a physiatrist. Mm -hmm. And so I guess uh, from that, it sounds like you learned a lot about the inner workings of the ABPMNR and how they kind of constructed this. What do you think surprised you the most? Or what was the biggest thing that you learned from that? Well, I think the biggest thing I learned as I went through that was that the board really works for two, th for two different groups of constituents. Certainly they work for the diplomats, but also here is a place where, where we have the public trust that one of the people that we really work for is the, the general public, the patients we serve. And so if you think about what you do with, with board certification is to assure the public both both the initial certification and then continuing certification that this physician is capable and able to provide care in the specialty and with continuing certification it has been able to demonstrate the ability to do that over the length of their career not just the fact that like for me in 1973 and 75 i passed my boards and for a long time no one checked about my board certification other than to say that yes he's board certified not with continuing certification, we start looking at, is this physician, in my case, 40 years post training, still up to date and still able to perform as a physiatrist should to the public? And the general public really expects that. I mean, the general public thinks that we get tested every year, mm -hmm. believe it or not. Barry, I'm always in, in awe when I hear about your background. Um, for those in the audience, Barry and I met in my first year of residency at Baylor Houston. And uh, so I, I don't want to embarrass you, Barry, but I will. But you are you were our role model for my class year and the class years around that. And as you know, from those several year periods, we've had some amazing, uh, just amazing physiatrists come out of that program. Um, so uh, the point I'm trying to make is uh, the, your ability to be on all, in all these organizations and be contributing and be recognized as being able to lead, lead a group of really diverse people takes a, a special skill is putting it mildly. So from I'm going to ask you the question, but from my perspective, um, you you always have the ability to be uh, kind and gentle with people in your interactions uh, all the time and on all the committees you've been working with. Yet, on the other hand, people f also feel comfortable and that you bring them together as opposed to bring them apart. And that's why you were selected for all those leadership roles, which is a lot. I don't think there's any physiatrists in... <laughs> history that's going to match this list. Um, so what would you say to the younger physiatrists as they go
go through their careers, you know, because now the world is even more contentious than 40 years ago, right? And what, what do you tell them uh, of how to manage working with people when there are a lot of different ideas, ideas and thoughts about how things should be done? Well, Mike, uh, I think what I always tell myself is I am a servant leader. And that means that I am no better than the person I'm talking to and that I need to respect them for their, their abilities and what they're able to do and treat everyone as an equal, whether it's the president of, of, a, of, of an organization, whether it's my patient, whether it's my resident, whether it's whoever it is, every person to me deserves that same level of respect. I respect everyone. And I always tell people there the only the only dumb or bad question is the one you don't ask. So be willing to listen to folks, be willing to understand where they're coming from. Uh, I'll tell you a real quick story. When I was in Dallas, I had a problem with my staff people not getting along with their administrator. And so we, we did what I call my kumbaya sessions. And so what, what, what we really learned with that is to how you have to be able to relate to folks and that everybody's an equal. So we did all those kinds of things and, and to respect how people best communicate. And what I learned was you have to learn to, to find out how the other person best communicates. I mean, do you do best by email? Do you do best by texting? Do you do better eyeball to eyeball? I mean, I always want to do it eyeball to eyeball, but right. there's lots of folks that don't like that. And so you have to find out what that is, where it is that they best communicate, and then you make yourself communicate where they're comfortable. Because then you get the best result. And the perfect example of that was I, when I became the interim chair at Bader Houston the second time, I could never get the president to call me back because I wanted an appointment. Is that one asked a question? So I find if he, he's always sent an email, so I'll just send him an email and ask him, what should I do? Five minutes later, he answered my question and I was done. I, I learned my lesson once again. <laughs> That's a really cool story. Thank you, Bear. You know, I think um, one more comment, Craig, and I'll let you take it from here. That's so important uh, for people listening to this podcast to get who are, we, we work with, we work with a lot of uh, medical directors in our organization and a lot of new medical directors they're just finding their way. But now we work with a number of organizations that have a lot of young administrative leaders. And so your advice to these new physicians working with new administrators is really, really on point. Um, and and uh, we spend a lot of time mentoring and counseling on relationship building and um, which, you know, for each generation is a different struggle, as we know. And so, anyways, thank, thank you for, for emphasizing that. And I think that's really important for our, our young physiatrists, early career physiatrists, to understand you meet people at where they, where they are at, no matter what emotions are involved in a particular situation. So, anyways, Craig, I'll let you take it away. No, excellent point, Mike. And I think building on that and meeting people where they are, one thing, at least in some of our private practice colleagues that seems to be missing, is the board and the physiatrist meeting each other where they are. There seems to be some 
maybe confusion or concern or and sometimes downright uh, uh, angriness about the role the board plays in the monitoring of physicians, the recertification of physicians. Um, how do you see the board benefiting those private practice physicians and those people who sometimes seem so uh, frustrated by some of the requirements? Well, I think my answer to that is that if you look at many of the organizations that that get young physicians on their panels or older physicians get to be on the panels, they want to have some assurance of their, their quality. And many of them say, we don't really respect uh, certification because there is no ongoing component because we really don't want to know what they were like when they finished their residency, which is basically what, what the initial certification tells you. What we want to know is today, if we bring this physician on, is he still up to date? Is he still able to practice in those areas which, we're, which we want him to practice? It was easy when you were a resident because you had a program director that could, that could attest to that. When you got in the real world, you don't have a program director. And so you need some piece of paper, something that, that everyone respects as really showing that you are who you say you are, that you trained and you knew things when you trained and you have demonstrated, not just done, but demonstrated that, that objectively demonstrated that you are still that physician who is up to date and is able to do what you want to do. We know from reading the literature that the worst person to decide what it is that I need to continue to learn about more is me. All people are very, very poor at trying to decide what they want to get better at. And so what, when you look at what the, what the recertification test retest exam does is it gives you questions in a number of areas, shows you where you're doing well, but that also show you, shows you where you're not as strong. And so then you have the opportunity to read something about that, the opportunity to know where that is and, and go forward and do some self-learning to get better in that area. And that's what, what they're trying to do. My, my opinion, what the board does is for physicians is two things. One is to objectively test them to show that they are still up to date and able to do what they want to do. And secondly, give them the right data and right data points to let them know where it is that they need to concentrate their, their ongoing medical education to keep that. And so that's, and if the board does not do that second, they're doing the individual practitioner a great disservice. And so that's why we have changed what we've done to try to give them some ongoing feedback as to where they're, what areas they are not as competent in as they might think they want to be or knowledgeable and also if you remember how, how the board now is doing you can do so many percentages in different areas they're able to tailor your exam to give you more content in the areas that you predominantly practice in you don't do pediatrics which many of us don't a few of us do but most don't you don't need to really show that on an ongoing basis I think that, you know, the longitudinal assessments, Barry, and so I'm 30 years out from training, uh, plus or minus, plus or minus a decade or two. But um, <laughs> I, I think they've been am amazingly effective. Um, I just completed 
uh, my first longitudinal assessment for, for my pain boards. And I tell you, before I understood how, how the longitudinal assessments would work, I had a lot of anxiety that I'd have to cram for a pain board after a decade uh, in order to remain certified. And, um, you know, the way that it used to be, right? The way it used to be, right. everybody felt that it was a burden and a hoop and you crammed and didn't necessarily learn. But I, I tell you, the, the pain boards, is, uh, as I've redone them um, and will do them every year, they've been a pleasure. I mean, I've actually learned. I've learned something every night that I went on that computer. And so that... So, so I, Mike, I, would, I call that directed self-learning rather than self-directed learning. And that's what we want to do. We want to direct your self-learning to the areas where you, it needs attention. If, if you're doing well in an area rather than, we all tend to want to read and get better at what we do the very best. But the problem is we need something to help us understand where we might not be as strong as we'd like to be and give us the opportunity with directed self-learning to get to where we want to be in all areas that we really are involved in in practice. Well, it's been very successful uh, with the longitudinal assessments, in my opinion, on that. Um, well, I didn't want to do them either when I took my first one, but I will tell you that, <laughs> that I I continue to do this, and I actually took the, the my last research exam in 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I feel a lot better taking the, the ones I took after that, that, it, that they told me what I didn't know anymore. <laughs> right. right. No, that's impressive. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, any predictions on how the board is going to continue to evolve to bring that kind of learning to, to physiatrists in the future? Well, I think they have a good start. And I think all the boards are really trying to figure out how we do that. I mean, some of our members have procedural skills. And, you know, how you how we do that. A lot of the boards are doing uh, simulated things and training. So I think that's where we're going to get to. Uh, my guess is we'll just get better at helping folks look at themselves and look at different ways other than just Answering answering questions on a piece of paper. And when we have all the technology that's available, like we have now, we should start to use that. And I think that's where we're going to go next. Uh, so, Barry, one one of the things uh, which won't surprise you at all, we still get a lot of complaints from um, our colleagues about the MIPS process. My feeling is that that's that's going to evolve over time. Uh, it appears to be a bit complex and. Uh, although performance improvement in practice is a, a perfect idea, it absolutely is where it should be at. Uh, it's maybe the the translation, um, you know, with the, the the bonus things and the penalty phase and the data collection. It's it's a uh, uh, people feel it's a bit burdensome, especially for private practices. The academic practices have, may have the data a little bit better to manipulate and put into you know the right formats. You know, for instance, so for our organization, we pay a vendor to help us organize our data. Um, and we are pretty much uh, specialized in the inpatient domain, which does narrow what we can do in the MIPS process. Um, so anyways, I, I don't, I don't want to get too much into the weeds on that, but I was, I'm just curious as to where you think it's going. It's obviously not going to stay where it is, or is it going to evolve? What are your, what are your thoughts on it? 
my thoughts are they're using antiquated methods to try to get the, the data that they want. And it's going to be a contentious thing until we figure out a better way to collect data. I mean, if you look at the, of the Academy little boost, if you look at the, uh, oh. It's a longitudinal collection of data by the Academy on spine outcomes. Right, that's what it is. I, I can't remember what that is, but but that's the kind of thing that will need to happen. Uh, and you know, by having smaller groups able to join that, when we get more than one or two areas, I think that'll help. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to, if you do it in stroke, if, uh, I mean, the, the thoracic surgeons have been doing that with all of their cardiac surgeries for 25 or 35 years, and all that data has been collected. So they have a, a step up because they've been able to collect data, but their, their data set that they need to collect is pretty small. It's cardiac surgery. I mean, there's a lot of things right. like that, but consider cardiac surgery compared to the entire breadth of the field of physical medicine and rehabilitation. I mean, it's until we get better data collection and a better way to help everybody, it's not going to work. Because what we have now, I, I don't see how it can work, but I, I don't think it's going to go away because I think the federal government wants to continue to do that, and they think that's the way to drive people. Yeah. Right. And so I think you're referencing the patient reported outcomes module within the AV, AAPMNR. Is that, uh, oh, there's an, you call it the registry, the registry, that the that's, registry, the registry, yeah. uh -huh. the registry. Work. Yes. Right. Good work. Thank yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> the official title, I think is patient reported outcomes module lit and registry. If I'm, I'm yeah, there you go. That, that is there correct. And that's the kind of thing. If, and I know that the Academy has been very busy in trying to develop, a number of those and I think that's the way that the practitioner in private practice will be able to join in on that as they also perfect their data collection abilities for the practice so it's not a, a separate set of data entry as it is today I mean we've mm -hmm. got to get to the point where I can plug in my data in my medical record that I'm using in my practice and that automatically gets fed to the to the registry database that's the kind of thing we need. We need things to talk to each other. Right. Yeah. It's such a tall order as well because my impression of Medicare information, it's it's kind of like the big warehouse in Indiana Jones. You go and you have these huge boxes <laughs> of information and you're wandering around this, you know, five mile by five mile warehouse trying to organize things. So actually it's ten mile by ten mile. <laughs> sure. <laughs> And the box you're looking for is two inches by two inches, right? <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the idea I'm thinking of. Yes, um, yeah. the the uh, the other the other thing uh, it's related to that. So I know for the MIPS pro for the registry process that the academy's doing, it's been really expensive for the organ that organization. It was a big bold move to do something everyone knew that was necessary, but it's it's not inexpensive to do that as an academy. So um, <clears throat> one of the things, and I'm gonna, you know, I, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about the, the, the membership side, the academy side, but, you, but it, you're the best person to discuss this with Barry because you have the overview of the ABP, uh, 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 ABMS and the a American Board and the AAP and the Academy, but you know all of those organizations. Well, uh, let's just say the AAP and the Academy, they need resources like 
funding to carry out their missions. And so education has always been helping boost that, right? It's, it's an appropriate venue for them to be in, but it has helped them uh, have resources to carry out their mission. Um, but now we have all of these other companies, some people are putting out free CME. Um, there's a lot of competition for that now, and I think it worries the, the societies. I'm sure that it does. Um, and so does the, from this perspective, is, is, does the board put out educational products too, or are they kind of relying on the academy and then all the subspecialty organizations to provide the education? Well, m most of the boards, uh, PM&R and other boards, as they do their continuing certification, will give folks you know, the little blurbs that you see with information and resources. But also they will, if they're having problems, they will suggest that they go to their academy to get the specific kind of, of knowledge training that they need. And I think one of the important things to do is for the academy and the board to work together so that when we find out that someone's having trouble in, you name it, uh, uh, managing a stroke patient, for instance, mm -hmm. that, that the academy will have a, a set of CME items available from the academy. They can say, if you really want to do this, here's some good resources that your academy is giving you to be able to catch up in this area. I think that's the relationship that has to go on uh, so that the, the board is able to feed to the academy the areas in general that the physicians are having trouble with. Sure, sure. I mean, it, yeah. And those are the areas that then the academy can concentrate on and develop uh, appropriate CME uh, programs for them to be able to catch up. Yeah, that's. But until we, until we, until the board gets a bigger database and finds out where it is, right, it's going to be a little difficult. But they have, but both organizations have to be willing to work together to to do what's best for the diplomats, and then in the end, it relates to better care, which is what we all really want is better care overall for all the patients we serve. Yeah, it really is. It really is connected. It is. It's. It's really heavily connected. Um, you know. Uh, so I, I know the the academy has a lot of. They do a lot of surveys to collect information from their members. So I'm pretty sure. No, I happen to know that they really feel they know what their members want. And of course, you know, our, our specialty is so diverse. We have wound care, and then you know, interventional discography and everything in between. But the Academy has a good idea of what all those sectors wants, but, and I think a part of it's... Okay, it's what they want, but it may not be what they need. Correct. Because it is what I perceive in my own eyeballs, what I need. And again, educational data has shown over and over again that, that the worst person to decide what it is you need to learn is you if you just go on what you do every day, you need some kind of objective measurements to help to help you find out where you may not be as good as you want and help you then continue on with your directed self-learning. And that, that to me is the biggest problem with, with the surveys that the Academy does or all organizations like that do, that the, that the CME uh, organization, the demands that they do, that you get their opinion of what they think they need 
but it is not what someone has objectively shown that they really do need for themselves to be able to continue to be as able as they wish to be and up to date as they wish to be in what they do every yeah, day. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. <clears throat> One thing they do know is everybody wants everything free. So, but well, I can't blame them. Life isn't free. <laughs> life isn't you know, free, especially today. You know, one of the one of the interesting <laughs> things is when when the ABMS did some did some uh, public surveys, uh, and one of the things we asked the public is is about the cost of recertification. They said, "Doctors, you're rich. We're not." But my daughter, who is a lifeguard in the summer, has to pay two hundred dollars a year for to get recertified to do that. How can those doctors complain when everybody else has to be certified and pay for it? So, I mean, that, that's a cruel thing no, to say, but, but that's, they have a point. <laughs> and uh, so, if you, if you, so you should be willing to pay, in my opinion, what it is you need to be to, to what it is you need to be able to be as proficient and able to care for people as you want to be. All of us wants to be the very best physician we can be. We need to take advantage of things that help us determine where we may be not as good as we would like to be and then find help us find ways to get there. Yeah. And, and that's I, I think that's perfectly said. And it's and it's getting harder to do because we'll all we'll all agree the complexity of our patients is going up. You know, the, the number of 90 year olds and 100 year olds in rehab hospitals, which I think is wonderful to have them there, is like skyrocketing. So hey, I may be I may be getting there soon. So <laughs> <get fun>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barry, do you think um, societies um, are going to survive in the future? I mean, because really, people are less willing to join them. Um, young, you know, <clears throat> I think if they don't, we will be facing. Uh, certain disaster for for the physicians who who really need some help in getting where they need to be, and you know all these proliferation of societies and and how many do you join? Which one do you right. join? Exactly, uh, and that's one of the issues. And and many times the the societies that are the the blanket societies for people in diverse areas, they want to just. First of all, they can't afford to join 15 like I did way back when. Yes. So they have to begin to pick and choose, and they have to make sure that they pick the ones that will best give them what it is they need, or what they think they need, what they, what they truly need, and, and how things are being set up to help them so they can get what they need. Yes. At some cost. I mean, it's got to be at some cost. <clears throat> well, I think all of us on this call realize how lucky we have been to have chosen the specialty we did right because um i think we all feel good about the work that the work that we do and somehow i wish i could instill that inspiration in um the the newer generations and i call them micro generations because each generation is really like eight generations with technology influencing development um yeah. And because I think, you know, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but since I have the mic for a moment, I'll, uh, I, I think we're very, we're very lucky to be taking care of the type of patients we take care of because it's important. Uh, I agree. And I think it's important that we try to stay up abreast of what it is that the next generation wants in the way of communication 
so that we can address them again at their level so that they understand that we're talking their language and not trying to make them talk our language. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I'm going to give you a short story, very short, um, of how things have changed over my career. So uh, a few weeks back, I took a long weekend to go skiing out in Utah. Um, Kathy and I were out there just for four days. And we stayed at a place that happened to have an orthopedic spine conference. You know, they always have these spine conferences, these wonderful places that you can write off as a business expense. <laughs> so at the, at the hot tub, um, I met uh, some of the orthopedics and their wives. Uh, and uh, they all thought, you know, once they asked me what I did, it was like, oh, I'm a physical medicine rehabilitation. Oh, okay. Well, they said, it's great you're coming out to the conference. And I said, no, no, I'm <laughs> off the grid. I'm not at the conference, but thank you very much. But 30 years ago, they would have said, what are you doing at this conference, right, as a physiatrist? Yes. So it just shows you how far we've come uh, as a specialty and, and how important we've become in the weave of medicine. What I, what I liked the best was I was, I was uh, doing something for the American Heart Association, and one of the folks on the podium asked me, so you, do you call yourself a physiatrist or a physiatrist? I said, I don't care what you call me, just call me. <laughs> but that they knew that there was a difference I thought was remarkable. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> it's impressive. Things are changing for the better, mostly. Um, Craig, did we, did we finish your, um, your thoughts on what we wanted to talk to Barry about? Yeah, no, I think we've touched all of them. We, uh, we have to ask the pizza question, I think. But other than that, I think I've got <laughs> Of course. I will tell you without a doubt, the best pizza around here is the one my wife makes downstairs. Oh, what a sweet answer. What a family man. <laughs> okay. Hey, but that's true. That's true. I, I, I delight when she'll make it down and I don't have to order it somewhere. Can't beat that. Well, we're going to expect an invitation from Jane to have us over when we're all in Houston together. Well, you just tell me when you're coming, buddy. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Give her my regards as well. I will. I will. Well, good. Thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for all of your time and insights today. We really enjoyed having you on this call, and I, I think everybody really learned a lot about the, uh, the board and uh, ABPMNR and, and certainly your experiences with it. Um, I can say, again, personally, you were a, a mentor to me and a role model, and I think Mike already expressed that as well. So it's been a real honor for both of us to have you today, and thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure to me to be able to, to talk to your people that are listening to this and Hopefully, we've helped them be able to move towards the, being the best physician they can be. All physicians need perspective, and I think this is a big part of helping people see a bigger picture. Uh, but really, Barry, thank you so much for coming on. It's such a pleasure um, seeing you, and uh, uh, since we've known each other for quite some time now, uh, where time goes, we don't know. We just know we're we just know we're both still here, which is good. <laughs> so thank you very much for everything. Uh, my pleasure. Good to see you.